you're listening to Satellite Sisters, we're happy to be here today with a very special guest. I'm Leanne Dolan, and I'm here with my sisters, Liz Dolan and Julie Dolan. And sisters, are you ready to kick off this new version of the Satellite Sisters book club? This is super exciting. (laughs) I cannot wait. We've got some bang-up guests already booked. Yeah, Liz. Okay, so we're we're going back to what we used to do. We used to call it the Satellite Sisters Radio Book Club, but we've dropped the radio now because we're cool and we're on podcasts. Uh, and you <laughs> Good know, Liz. Uh, yeah, thank you, Joel. And I was remembering like how long it took us to came come up with that lame name, Satellite Sisters Radio Book Club. <laughs> do you remember the production meeting around that? Yeah. I do remember that. Like, I do remember that. Yeah. You mean So you don't want to relive that by changing the name in any way. No. So when we decided like we should do that book club again. What are we gonna call it? And you were like, Well, you could just drop the radio. Good, done. <laughs> um so Satellite Sisters Book Club, we're going to focus on biographies, memoirs, and autobiographies by and about women. We've had a great list in the past, and we're excited to kick off 2018 in a big way. Liz is going to tell us about this month's book in a second. But next month, attention, Little House fans. Attention, Little House fans. And Starting with Ian Dolan, number one fan. Get your gingham on. I mean, get, grab your bonnet. Wow. We are reading Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder by Caroline Frazier. Now, this biography is wonderful. It's remarkable. I have to say, I started crying in the first chapter (laughs) thinking about Laura Ingalls Wilder. So this is really a complete look at her life through her books, but also through the whole scope of history of that time. So even if you're not a Little House fan, and I don't understand that, like if you're not, I don't know what you were doing with your girlhood, but okay, fine. Uh, You know, even if you're interested in the American West and history of that time period, I would just encourage you to pick up this book, Prairie Fires. It is a thoroughly researched, thoroughly well-written book about Lauren Gills Wilder, her life and times. And just a nugget, you know, something to remember. She did not start writing the Little House books till she was late in her 50s. She had hmm. been through a whole lifetime of children and poverty and more poverty and then poverty on top of that. And she actually turned to writing to make money. <laughs> Those were the <laughs> days. So... <laughs> As a novelist, that's your commentary on that. (laughs) But I I have to say her biographer, Caroline Fraser, is an amazing writer herself. And really, it is a wonderful, richly detailed book that will take you back. And it will will give you a whole new perspective on those books you loved as a kid and what it was like to be an American woman in the West in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, and the early part of the 20th century. So Prairie Fires is the name of the book. It's dense. It's a history. Uh, but it was one of the New York Times top 10 histories of the year. So you're going to want to pick it up and prepare for the February book club, which is going to be at the end of February. Okay, but here we are. It's January, and we are starting 2018 with a bang, sisters. After all, really, who could be more fun to talk to than Tina Brown? She was the editor of Vanity Fair and The New Yorker, and she's the founder of the Women in the World Summit. She's been a solid gold satellite sister since she came on our show years ago to discuss her book, The Diana Chronicles, about Princess Diana. Her new book is The Vanity Fair Diaries, 1983 to 1992. So we all had 
so much fun reading these diaries. Julie, what did you think? You know, the thing about this book is you can open any page. You don't have to read this in sequence. You can open, you just flip <laughs> open the book to any page and boom, something exciting is happening in her diary that day. She's having a power lunch. She's having a power dinner. She's, you know, getting somebody to be photographed nude, whatever it is. <laughs> she was doing it all. And it was a time when magazines were like thick, fat, juicy yeah. magazines, right? Yeah. I right. Mean, now they're all so wimpy and skinny. And every time you see a magazine, you're worried you'll never see it again. Like it's going to go out of business. But she was, she was at that. She was in the eighties. Magazines were everything. And that we, and women in particular love magazines. So it was a fascinating, fun read. Liz, I liked all the little details that really stuck out. I mean, these are really her diaries. You, you're you're going to talk to her about that. Um, yeah. So they're not she, – she hasn't gone back and edited out anything or changed anything. And they're just little details. Like she's describing – I mean, she went to one after another, the most fabulous dinner parties in New York. And if that's your scene, like she was in the middle of it. And so she's describing one dinner where she's sitting next to, you know, celebrity authors, Joan Didion and John Gregory Dunn. And mm -hmm. her comments, like when she gets home from dinner that night is like, oh, my gosh, they are so much work. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> John Gregory Dunn, he's just a negaholic and wants to, like, fight you on everything. And then she described Joan Didion as a low talker. <laughs> oh, they're the so, worst. Oh, you don't want to be sitting next to a low talker. Tough. That's what she said. They're tough dinner companions. Like she goes on to say, I love everything Joan writes, but you can't hear anything she says at dinner. <laughs> like, and that's just one paragraph. No, so. you're right, Leanne. This book is just jam packed with stuff like that. And just, and observations she made in the moment about these people. So, you know, I was a very young, just out of college woman working and trying to start a career in New York City during the same years she's writing about. So I got to say, as I read through this book, it all came back in a rush. So when we come back, it's the Satellite Sisters with Tina Brown. Wonderful. How are you? It's Tina. Oh, great. <laughs> Good. Tina. Tina, it's really nice to have you back on Satellite Sisters. This I'm so Liz, happy. This is Liz Dolan. I'm in Santa Monica. My sister Julie is in Dallas, Texas. Julie, you can say hi. Hi, Tina. We're so hi, we love we love your book. I'm so happy to hear that. That is so my God. The Satellite Sisters dig my book. I think that's oh, fab. I'm going to tweet and, about that. And Leon Dolan is in Pasadena, California. It's, it's such uh, such a pleasure to talk to you again. You're a, you're a book club. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> just That's a three right. you don't need anybody else no we are pretty picky about who we pick for our book club tina so i think you might be the only person we've ever had in the satellite sisters book club twice because we oh had my your, god That's, that's we had quite your diana chronicles which we loved and but that was a while ago so we were yeah. ready for a new book from you tina and that's well, why i'm we glad i'm so happy that i wrote it just for you what i love so much about this book is that it just exudes so much confidence in your own opinions and your own reality and your own judgments. It is really inspiring from that point of view. Were you just born that way? Well, you know, I think it was the fun of being, you know, just turned 30 and plunged into this media maelstrom to edit Vanity Fair. And I just knew the kind of magazine I wanted to read. And I knew the conversation I wanted to write for. And I knew the magazine I wanted to read, you know, to produce. So I guess I was in that sense, had strong convictions. But, you know, making something 
fit your convictions is the hard thing. You know, you can have a vision and you can't quite get it done. So that's always what I feel is the challenge. Lots of people come in and say, I want to do this, I want to do that. And I would always say, well, but can you get it done? That's the key, you know? Yeah, you really come across as a decider too, that, you know, you have a lot of curiosity about things, you know what kind of stories you want to assign, you go find the right people. But then when the material comes back, you're very judgmental about, is it good enough? Is it sexy enough? Is it newsy enough? That's right. And one of the things I agonize about, actually, and I say in the book is that it's always easy to know what to do with the great piece, right? You published it right away or the lousy piece, you kill it. But what do you do with the one that's kind of, mm, you know, in between and you've got to figure out ways to get it to the high standard you want? Or, you know, should you just decide to cut it loose? And that was one of the things that I used to agonize about when I was editing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the amazing things reading your diary entries is that they are actual diary entries. So this is not you're not looking back over those years and with the benefit of hindsight, making judgments of people or descriptions of people. You're actually just you were every night or most nights just coming home and capturing all these thoughts. I wasn't. And, you know, when I thought about doing this book, I was originally going to do it as a memoir. But then I, when I started reading the journals, I just found it there was something about the onrushing presence, the kind of exhilarance of not knowing how the story was going to end, the suspense, the kind of inbuilt suspense of being on a journey that I thought was just more exciting for the reader. And somehow I was able that way to, to surf the 80s at the speed with which I lived them. You know, <laughs> it, was it was such a fantastic high wire time. <laughs> you know, it really was. I mean, it was a time of shiny, glossy, you know, TV shows and 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 it was Madonna, it was Miami Vice, it was the Reagan era, it was the boom and crash of Wall Street. It was all just so kind of high glitz. And at the same time, there was this sense of everything being on the edge, you know. And finally, the the, the crash happens, and you realize that you know it is all on the edge. But it it was it was a kind of that that mood made it just seem well told in the, in the diary form, which is why I did it that way. Yeah, I'm happy you stuck with that because what my favorite thing is you have such keen assessments of people like in the moment, like it's pretty easy 25 years later to look back at some of these people and classify them, but your colorful, really smart descriptions of people in the moment and surprising characters popping up. Like, you know, I had forgotten all about Klaus von Bülow, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Deeply forgettable in his own way, but at the same time, he was a great story in the 80s, which is, you know, an accused murderer. You know, he was married to this big heiress who he's accused of giving this insulin injection. So she's in a terminal coma. Uh, you know, the whole thing was just so kind of decadent and seedy and fascinating. And, and you know, it was the big the big social story of the 80s. But you were also I mean, it's one thing to go after someone like Klaus von Bülow in the edgy way that the magazine did. But you were also not afraid to pick fights with really powerful people and people who were your friends, like Sally Quinn, Tina, can we talk about, can we talk about Sally Quinn? Well, you, got, you, know, you got married my, in her backyard. I got ma- married in her backyard uh, uh, to my husband, Harry Evans, you know, her and Ben Bradley in their wonderful house uh, by the ocean uh, in, in, in Long Island. But, you know, as Sally wrote, one of the difficulties if you're an editor is, you know, you know, a lot of writers, many of them are your friends. And then, Uh, or people, just people who you know. And then, you know, the story of the day is something they don't want you to print. And that can be very, very difficult as an editor. You have to decide, you know, which side your loyalties are. I had to always really understand that as an editor, you have to tell the truth. You have to have a story that that is the truth and you have to back your writers unless they've done something wrong, you know. So in this instance, I quite innocently assigned the book to the writer Christopher Buckley uh, to review. She wrote a novel and I 
signed um, uh, her novel uh, to be reviewed by Christopher Buckley. And to my complete chagrin, I have to say, he didn't like it. And he <laughs> made fun of it in the magazine. And I, you know, I was in agony about about it. But in the end, I had to back my writer and publish it. I couldn't say, I'm not publishing this because this is just a friend. It would not make me a credible editor. But unfortunately, uh, she didn't see it that way. And she was very upset, uh, which I kind of understand now. And uh, disinvited <laughs> me from her, the, the party she was hosting that weekend for, for uh, Ben Bradley's birthday. So that was when I, it was mo- a, a painful moment of conflict between my friendships and my loyalties to writers. Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm-hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Pros is getting rave reviews. Leanne, I am not surprised. You have been on that Pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair mm-hmm. because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. Do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Leon Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when my hair's really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you're the boss. I'll take it. (laughs) You tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leans. Okay, and I'm I'm using it. Pros mm-hmm. isn't just better for you; it's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty free, and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. Liz and Leanne here, and we are so grateful to have Osea support Satellite Sisters. Why? Because it's just a great product. Holy cow, do we, we love Osea's skin and body care. And you know what? This Mother's Day... Just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life, aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. <laughs> in no their kidding. skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils. I love it all. That duo they have going. Oh. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the mega moisture duo. Yes. You can you can literally see your skin get firmer. And it just delivers <laughs> this full body glow. Okay, you know we have raved about the Andaria Algae Body Oil. Mm-hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria Collagen Body Oil. 
youthfulness, yeah. a youthful yeah. glow is going to happen. <laughs> and it's infused with Osea's signature Undarius seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself <laughs> because you're worth it. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code SAD Sisters. So this is it. This is a win, win, win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SAT Sisters at OseaMalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. And, and what did you think you would have done differently had you known well, that? Well, what I decided I, I should have done was to give her a very early heads up that this was happening. I think it wouldn't have made her any more happy with it, but I think I was at fault in not warning her that this was happening because people want to be able to compose their kind of expression when the thing falls and they don't want to be surprised so that was something I learned and I didn't do that again I didn't surprise I, people yeah I believe she was particularly surprised by his use of the word literature to describe <laughs> oh my god that was unfortunately Oops. very memorable and was quoted everywhere yeah that was a, that was a a pretty uh, memorable phrase, which there's no doubt she did not like. <laughs> now that would be a million seller if you wrote a cliterature book. I mean, <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey was That was the kind of thing I tried to say when I was defending <laughs> what I did. <laughs> you know, what made Vanity Fair and your diary such a magical mix is that there are big issues and serious issues of the day, but also just a lot of plain old gossip. What do you think it is that makes gossip so powerful? Why do you love it? You're a serious person, but you love gossip. I do. Well, I think, you know, gossip is often where the stories start, don't forget. I mean, it's gossip that the president is, I hear the president's having an affair with an intern, you know, you don't say, you know. I mean, we definitely, many, many, many gossip leads turn out to be true. So, of course, there is that, is there smoke, uh, is there fire in the smoke that is absolutely titillating and wonderful about gossip and also what it tells you and illuminates about people that you know. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like gossip that's, that's, that's trashy and malicious and sort of just simply plain destructive. It, it has to have that's kind of fun, you know, uh, because otherwise, it, it, you know, you overdo, you know, you overdose on it pretty fast. Mm-hmm. But it's addictive. There's no doubt that gossip is addictive. I mean, one of the big funny characters in the book is this old gay guy called uh, Jerry Zipkin, who was a big social kind of figure in the 80s. And he was the best friend of Nancy Reagan and the best mm-hmm. friend park avenue ladies and he was the link between all of those women and he was a lethal gossip and i got a lot of very funny scenes with him when he's sitting there sounding off and going oh you know everything is just about hello you know uh <laughs> don't you know who the president who she is and then you know what the president said and i was sat next to this lady last night and she said what's your name and i said haven't you read my place card and she I, and she and then i said to her don't you know who you are and all of this stuff was going on and he was just a lethal gossip but he was funny <laughs> well, I think from a reader's point of view, when you read Vanity Fair, like you felt like you were part of that world, even though I so totally wasn't part of that world. So that, 
That was amazing that well, you could achieve that. Well, the thing about Vanity Fair was at first I thought that well, this this insane black tie social life, that, you know, as an editor of the magazine, a glossy magazine, I got asked to all of these sort of galas and parties and all the rest of it. And I thought this is a complete waste of time at the beginning. Then I began to see that, A, I got amazing stories every time I went out. I got leads. I got I got access. I got contacts that I could then take back to my writers. But also, you know, the story of that moment was about how the money moved around. It was a story. It was the money was the story, you know, and that was the story that we covered. And uh, that was the story of, of the moment. I mean, both in terms of the making of it, the spending of it and the crashing in it. You know, there were so many of our stories were about people who who crashed. And, and that was also, of course, uh, a great, great coverage for an editor. You know, just this is Leanne, just to switch gears a little. I mean, there's nine million anecdotes we could talk about in the book, but there's also a lot about the covers and what goes on behind the scenes of the covers. And one of my favorite anecdotes was about, I think, one of the most memorable Vanity Fair covers under your tenure, the Demi Moore cover. And when I read it, I almost dropped the book because it just... Uh, it's just such I you know everyone can picture that cover and I just didn't hadn't realized at the time you had just given birth you know Annie Leibovitz shot the famous shot of her naked and pregnant and simple and it sort of ended the 80s for you and begun the 90s was that your idea how did that evolve that, that well shot? you know it was it was first of all I had I had been looking for a cover that was kind of going to break the mold with the 80s because the 80s was all about kind of red nail polish high glitz uh, dynasty, all of that stuff. And you called it Trumpy. Was, you called it Trumpy. The, yeah, Trumpy. Trumpy. Yeah. Very Trumpy. Because, of course, the great iconography of that era was that gold tower, right? Which yeah. was Donald Trump. So I wanted to make the change into the 90s and say that we were going to be now a magazine of the 90s because you don't want to be kind of stuck in the era before. So I was looking for a cover that made a statement. Then we heard, we, you know, we were going to photograph Demi Moore for the cover. I just had my second child. And I was feeling very kind of mutinous about wearing maternity clothes. I mean, in those days, we all wore these big God, Laura Ashley, Larry, yeah, right? Laura, Laura Ashley tents, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling really irritated with stomping around, looking my worst, etc. And so when we heard Demi was pregnant at that time, you know, when you had a pregnant movie star, you did tend to kind of cut it at the shoulders and just do the head and, and shoulders. And I said to Annie, let's let's show her pregnant. Let's put her in a tight dress instead of a maternity dress. Let's all cut her at the shoulders. Let's do a tight dress. Great idea, says Annie. But the great thing about Annie is that she always goes further than you ever ask her to go. Right. So if you say you want a, a pregnant dress to me more, what did we get? We got a pregnant naked Demi Moore. When she comes back with the pictures and shows me the stark naked Demi Moore, I go, oh my God, you know, this is so incredible. I mean, how are we going to get her to do this with us? Because these pictures were really taken for her and Bruce Willis as a private session. Oh, so I will call oh, her wow. and see, and she gets on the phone and credit to Demi though. I mean, cause she's the one who took the brave risk. I mean, she agreed. I then had to persuade uh, the newsstand to accept a, a pregnant naked cover. So we asked Walmart what they think. Oh, yeah. Walmart says, no, we're not going to put this on the cover. We, we know, we're not going to do it. We're not going to put it on the newsstand. So um, what we do is we decide that we, we shrink rack, wrap it in plastic like a porn magazine. <laughs> and we put it there amongst Playboy and Penthouse. And, of course, it makes it even more, more of a stolen pleasure. And, uh, you know, it goes completely crazy on the newsstand, completely crazy and completely crazy in the media. And the amazing thing is that people are still doing that photograph. And I, I – yep. I really love the fact that we kind of liberated women from feeling that, that maternity was something they had to conceal. I mean, we definitely liberated women's fertility uh, excitement, you know, that we could let women celebrate their fertility by showing 
their pregnant stomachs, and they've been showing them ever since. In fact, <laughs> yeah, thanks. does that make you happy? This is Julie. <laughs> T- Tina, does that make you happy when you see Serena Williams sort of copying that same? Uh, that made me so happy. I mean, it was yeah. an homage. And the wonderful thing is that you know, Demi's pregnant bump is now like twenty-seven or something. She's graduated. She graduated from Brown. She's, you know, a fully fully fledged adult, and yet you know, the cover lives on in in in, in other pregnant women. That's that's amazing. Uh, Tina, this is Julie. And one of the other things that's so fascinating about the book for all the success of Vanity Fair, there are points in the book where you feel like, oh, my gosh, the whole magazine's going to collapse if they don't get this cover. If they don't get this, it's it's all going to go under. And I mean, particularly that the cover you did with the Reagans. I mean, you were called down to the White House about that one, right? Right. Well, we did, you know, the, the, it was always about what can we get for the cover? How are we going to succeed? Because for the first year and a half, you know, when I came in, the magazine was failing very badly. And, uh, you know, my job was to turn it around. And for the first year and a half, God, we worked so hard. I mean, I just tried every trick in the book and, and I redesigned it and, you know, turned, shook it up and hired new people and so on. But But it still hadn't quite caught on yet. It wasn't really doing it in terms of getting the advertising and the newsstands. So, when we got this opportunity to go and photograph the Reagans at the White House, you know, I knew this was going to be a great coup. So I took uh, a fantastic photographer, Harry Benson, who um, has photographed many presidents before because we were told, you know, you've got 20 minutes to do this picture. And Harry, who is very, very inventive, crazy Scotsman, took a boombox with him, which truly dates me, with a uh, <laughs> cassette of Frank Sinatra. That also dates me. Uh, Frank Sinatra singing. Nancy with the laughing face. And as the Reagans come in dressed for dinner because they're on their way to a state banquet, um, Nancy, he, he hits the boombox and Nancy says to Ronnie, oh, Ronnie, that's our song. Let's dance. And the two of them start this unbelievable romantic foxtrot as if there was no one else in the room but them to Frank Sinatra. They're dancing and dancing. Harry Benson's jumping up and down taking his pictures like a crazy, you know, madman, sort of, you know, snap, snap, snap. And he, then he goes, oh, Mr. President, give your wife a kiss. And, uh, <laughs> and Ronnie Reagan leans over and does this sort of wonderful screen kiss with, with the First Lady. And, and I'm standing there thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, we have the picture, we have the picture, we have the picture. This is the kiss of life for Vanity Fair. And it really was. But I had a to go through a horrible moment when the, the vile little little uh, gossip Jerry Zipkin gets into the mix. <laughs> right, he, Jerry's he, in this yeah. story. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, yeah, and he calls Nancy Reagan and says, oh, I hear they've got this cover and you really got to better find out what you think of it, blah, blah, blah. So we get this call and I'm told that I have to, to show Nancy Reagan the pictures before they'll allow them to be published, which was not in my, my uh, scenario at all. I refused to send the pictures down. Instead, I got onto the shuttle and took the pictures with me, put on my Reagan red suit and my little Chanel bag, and I flew down there <laughs> to Washington and sat in the antechamber at the White House waiting for Mrs. Reagan to, to look at the pictures with her press secretary and decide whether she was going to do it or not. And they were in there for like three hours or something. Oh. Dying, wow. you know, was what was going to happen? I had no cover. This was the best cover I'd ever done, and uh, you know, and finally the press secretary comes out and says, "Well, Mrs. Reagan is very disappointed." And uh, at that moment, we had the kiss picture on the cover, not the dancing picture. And she says, "You, know, Mrs. Reagan is very uncomfortable." So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do. I'm going to give her something. So I said, um, "Look, we'll put the kiss inside and the, and the dancing picture on the outside." And uh, and she goes, "Oh, it's much better, much better." And so we, we were able to do it. And I uh, actually it made it even more of a seller because people had to then in those days with no Internet, they had to buy the magazine to see the kiss picture. So it was a double uh-huh. whammy for us. 
And it was a real turning point for the magazine, right? You really felt like, okay, now we're going somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it took off like a lunatic. I mean, that cover took off like a bucking bronco. It was on every single uh, news. It led the news for like three nights. You know, it, it, it was on every talk show. It was the Reagan kiss was in every, you know, syndication in every newspaper all over the world. It was really an amazing kind of uh, rocket boost to our entire uh, positioning. Well, that's why they called you the queen of buzz, Tina. So we are going to, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back now, we're going to ask you for some personal advice for an American woman we know who is soon to join the House of Windsor. So you could hang on. We figure, we figure you could really set her straight. We're the Satellite Sisters. We'll be right back. You're listening to Satellite Sisters, a weekly podcast that's a pep talk for modern women. To find out more about this show or all the show notes from our podcast, visit our website at SatelliteSisters.com. To subscribe, you can find us at iTunes, at Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Satellite Sisters. Okay, we're back. So moving on to the House of Windsor. Julie, I know uh, that you have quite a list. Yes, I do. So, Tina, so let's just start with Megan. How... What are your expectations for her and the house in the House of Windsor? I think Meghan is a complete royal rock star who is going to really make another quantum leap for the royals. I mean, Kate Middleton has been an unbelievable boon uh, for the Royal House of Windsor. But Kate is now, I know, about to have her third child. And she's, you know, she's settling into future queen mode where she can't make too much news. Meghan Markle, on the other hand, uh, I mean, she is everything that makes people feel happy right now. I mean, she's she's a sign of royal family moving on and being so inclusive. I mean, you know, Meghan's, mm-hmm. for a start, Meghan is 36. That is the age that Diana was when she died. Yeah. Don't forget, Di- Diana was 20 when she got married. I mean, which now just feels oh. like a child. So she's sad. a fully fledged, independent, fully lived woman who knows exactly who she is and, and is not a kind of fledgling, uh, you know, work in progress. She's a, really already a, a very much established, confident woman. Uh, she's biracial, which is a tremendous new idea for the royals, but a, a very wonderful um, And, you know, she's divorced, I mean, which just says how far the royal family have moved on and how the Diana effect, as I like to think of it, has come full circle. No, it is. I mean, when I when I read your book, one of the things that struck me was like, you've just figured out how to do America so well. You know, like, I, I mean, I, I, I've been an expat and I know a lot of people go to Britain and they like Americans think, oh, this is going to be an easy assignment over here. And they get killed when they go to Britain. Why do you think you did so well in America? And in turn, are there any tips you can give Megan for who's now going to uh, uh, live in Britain to become a British citizen? Well, I mean, I just loved everything about America when I got here. You know, I was I had a lot of kind of, uh, you know, a bit of duality about it in the sense I did miss England enormously. At one point I say America's too loud, too big, too brash. I, You know, America needs editing. Um, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I missed the kind of coziness, if you like, of England. I missed the rain. I missed uh, British sense of humor. I missed Monty Python. You know, I mean, there were things I just really missed. But at the same time, um, you know, I think for those women particularly who've been somewhat sort of uh, enclosed, felt more enclosed in England, felt more, the ceiling wasn't as high. America's extremely exhilarating. You feel the, the sky is the limit. I think Meghan will find whatever uh, openness the royal family has shown to her, it is enclosing, it is inhibiting, and there, it, it is in the, inside the royal 
uh, upper echelons of the household, still a very stuffy place, even though the royal princes, um, Harry and William, have a very different kind of atmosphere in their uh, circle to the Queen's circle. Nonetheless, she has to interface with the Queen's circle. And my only advice to her, I think, would be careful not to get too much publicity. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's great to be celebrated. Everybody loves it now. But don't forget how jealous Charles got of Diana. I think that Harry's a very different man to to um, uh, to Charles. But I don't think any man, you know, who's been raised to be the great star of a family will like being completely overshadowed all the time. So you have to be careful to be appropriately uh, sort of appropriately popular. Let's put it that way. You don't ever <laughs> want to be more popular than one of the royal family. Princess Margaret, the sister of the Queen. Um, was just outraged that when the Queen went to open Parliament and Diana went, all the press wrote about was Diana's new updo. And they did not write about the Queen. And the fact is that even though you think, well, how could anybody be jealous if they're the Queen? People are human, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. If if someone else gets all the press, it's like, well, hmm, you know, what about me and my chopped liver? So Mm -hmm. I think uh, Meghan Markle just, I think she should just heed that. That's Mm -hmm. all. That's a good one. I think they're going to be great global citizens, uh, Meghan and yes. uh, Prince Harry. I think that they are, you know, a new generation and they will they will have, you know, they have international causes. And and yeah, I mean, certainly, we are, yeah, we're embracing them, certainly. <laughs> oh, I think they're amazing. And I think, you know, they both are humanitarians. They both love uh, love traveling the world. I mean, it's just a marvelous message right now for the UK, which has just, you know, shut itself off with Brexit to be able to say, no, here we have this young royal couple, very attractive, very fashionable, who are embracing the world. Liz, you know, we love talking about Framebridge, don't we? We do. <laughs> because, <laughs> because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting Framebridge experience. Would I, you I like did. to share? Would you like you know, to? I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids, and one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah, any day now, that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leon, they have already framebridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the Framebridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame and Framebridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, rate or gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but Framebridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this but sounds you like- you're going to be happy, okay? <laughs> That's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's framebridge.com. Thanks, Framebridge. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. 
You're grilling and chilling sure. there yes. with your with your butcher box. What, what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for a part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what, uh, what, what I'm recommending. Yeah, either way, you're just going to buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, you know, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy-to-find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, no antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz, right? Because it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your ButcherBox account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your ButcherBox on vacation, which is... That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> nice to have something familiar there. <laughs> yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at butcherbox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. Okay, you did did, uh, television coverage of multiple royal weddings in the past. Can we expect to see you on TV come this royal? I'm sure I'll be asked to bloviate about this one. (laughs) I'm always happy to do it. It's fun. I mean, what can be more fun? I think we need this wedding so badly. It's the one piece of good news we've had in a long time. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Julie, was there anything else you wanted to no, ask? I, well, I just, I, the wedding, I was, you know, what, what are your expectations? You think it's I think it's going to be, be an incredibly happy and cool day. I think you're going to see a joyfully uh, festive England uh, when this wedding happens. It'll be a young occasion. The young people are very, very interested indeed in Meghan Markle. They've been turned on to the royal family even more than by Kate Middleton because Kate's been very popular. And, yes, and, we, and, lo- and, we love Kate. We love yeah, Kate. Yeah, and she's been That's... a big fashion icon to young women, etc. But there's something about... Megan, that I think is doubly cool because of, because she's biracial, because she's from overseas, because she's, you know, a divorcee, because she's a sort of global citizen, because she's an established actress. All of these things make her extremely appealing, I think, to the to young generation. And I think she's going to really bring in a whole new audience for the royal soap opera. Do you think they'll think let she has her pretty- work? Do you think they'll yeah. let her act? I don't think. I think, you know, the great thing about it is, you know, People often think, oh, oh, it should be a girl from a from a, from a uh, you know another royal family or something. Absolutely not. I mean, if you're an actress, you like the limelight. There's just no point, frankly, in having someone who is a princess of the realm, who doesn't understand or like being in the public eye, because that is going to be your life. You know, if you hate the public eye, what a horrible fate. Mm-hmm. You know, but 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 Meghan Markle clearly likes the public eye. She's been an actress, and I think you know now she can do this. She's thirty-five. I mean, at the end of the day, as we know, actresses over thirty-five is often not such fun. But she can be, uh, you know, uh, she can deploy her presentation skills in a in a far bigger and better field than simply as a TV show. Okay, move over suits. She's going to take on the world. That's what I was saying. <laughs> it's Before- tiaras from now on. <laughs> Before we close, Tina, I want to go back to sort of the scope of your life, because there is a 
superwoman aspect to what you write about in the Vanity Fair diaries, what you've carried on since then. But there are moments in the book where you're very reflective of how many things you have going on in your life. No, it's all about the spinning the plates and trying, you know, having being a mom uh, of, of two kids, one of whom had a lot of challenges. He was born premature. And, you know, one of the most kind of fraught sections of the book is when I give birth to Georgie, who's premature. And agonizing about, is this going to leave him with some damage? And indeed, he does have Asperger's syndrome, which is a kind of processing uh, uh, issue where you find it very difficult to have social, to sort of social clues and so on. And he's doing really, really well, but he's had a, you know, he had a fraught time growing up. And, you know, that's, I'd forgotten in a sense, going back to that period, just how much working women have to kind of do. I mean, you're just continually trying to find like five minutes of, of your of time to have, be yourself. And some of the longs for you know the reflective time that comes from not always being uh, either working flat out or being a mum flat out and there just doesn't seem any time you know for me as it were and uh, I think a lot of women feel the same way that there isn't any space in between these two things and do you have that space in your life now I have more of it now and I, I must say uh, I'm I've been you know so lucky to have a husband who is one of the heroes of the book who is been so incredibly supportive my husband harry evans who's also a, a journalist and editor and you know was the most incredibly uh, uh passionate supporter of mine all the way through and and now it's him and me and and you know we thank god we have this wonderful time together because we you know we're passionate journalism junkies we still are we go out for breakfast every morning and devour the whole news buffet and re-edit the, every single newspaper and website <laughs> together and we just have a wonderful time together and and you know it's it's we're lucky we feel very lucky to have got back that space in our life and find that we still want to fill it for each other that's so great well i did get a chuckle in the end in your odd notes that you credit your daughter isabel for being your millennial filter of some kind when you were editing the book. Did, were there were there people that she was like, no, mom, nobody remembers this person. Completely. I would say you don't know who you don't know who Imelda Marcos was, you know, who had all those shoes, the first lady of the Philippines. What? Like who is that? You know, it's like who are these? I mean, Donald Trump then? It's like, what? I thought he was just invented. I mean, you know, the point is, is like, I mean, it's it's very funny um, seeing things through the eyes of him. And then you realize that, you know, they don't know who any of these people are. So um, it was very important to me that she read it, actually, because my first question was, is, is anyone going to be interested in? And she did, because she really, as so many readers have, I mean, she really resonates with the young woman who's trying to battle through career problems, learn how to be a boss. Uh, you know, learn how to be a manager, learn how to be a working mother. She really resonated with the the kind of the young woman at the edge, as it were. And, uh, you know, I must say that I've had that reaction from a lot of the millennial readers. Mm -hmm. Well, I love when you write that I'm 36 now, I have to be a serious person. (laughs) You've done all these amazing things. I I know, it's it's very funny. I mean, I read that now too, and I just think, oh, get over it, you know. (laughs) <laughs> well, Tina, this is uh, this is Julie. You know, I'm going to give your book to my son for Christmas because he just was appointed editor at Art in America, and I feel like you, there are so many good lessons in here for him. Uh, uh, well, you know, one of my fa- my 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 first lessons to to people with uh, small magazines are like, you know, if you don't have a budget, get yourself a point of view, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you don't have a big staff, you better be really good with you know, what you think you have to say, which is a wonderful lesson, I think, for. And I think that, you know, it's nothing more fun even now, even though the digital age is obviously making magazines more and more uh, sort of in peril in a way. There's still nothing more fun than than making pages, putting pictures and words together and 
putting out a magazine and that lovely onrush to the deadline of we're closing the issue, we've got to get it done. It's a tremendous fun thing to do. It's like putting on a school play. I always feel that uh, editing a magazine and closing an issue of a magazine is one of the most fun things anyone can do in life. Well, it was a super fun thing to read about. We just loved your diaries, Tina. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. back on Satellite Sisters. Tina Brown's you, Tina. book is The Vanity Fair Diaries, 1983 to 1992. When are we going to get the next installment, I hope? Uh, when I can rouse myself from under my duvet from watching Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you Thanks, so much, Tina. Tina. Bye, Bye, Tina. back we're the satellite sisters i literally can't think of a better guest than tina brown i mean she is the guest that just keeps giving you but we were barely even getting questions out and she was answering them (laughs) the juicy details too like more than you could ever want from a guest yeah julie were you satisfied with the Meghan markle answers do you feel well i mean she's really put down she's put down the marker there for Meghan. some key information about key guidelines about you can get some press, but not too much. You heard that. That yes. was there was a little warning in her tone. Yes. Uh, and she knows from what she speaks because of her close relationship with Diana. So I am sure that somebody is getting uh, Megan a copy of Tina's book for uh, for you know her birthday or her holiday bridal or, shower or, for bridal, bridal shower. shower something. But I am what what is still the main thing that I take away from this book is just we I we've talked to so many confident people, confident women, but there's something about Tina Brown and her intellectual confidence. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she was young when she took that job and she just had such a strong and certain point of view. She knew what quality was. She knew what it looked like, what, you know, what, you know, what it was in, in terms of print and photographs. And she just went after that. I mean, I'm sure she probably made some mistakes, but it doesn't seem, doesn't <laughs> seem like it. And I just, you know, I don't think that I'm, you know, like a shy flower, but she just, she has, she has remarkable confidence. And remember when she went to the New Yorker and it was like, oh my gosh, she's going to kill the New Yorker. She's killing right. it, you know? And then she revived the New Yorker as well, <laughs> you right. know? So yeah, you're right. She is confident because she's good at what she does. Very good at what she does. Yeah. Super hashtag stay noisy sister. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like you could have invented that for her. You know, one of the things she writes near the end of the book is, my stubborn dream is to be mistress of an Oxford college. And I just want to say, Tina Brown, I would totally go to that college. Like, I've always, <laughs> I've always said to you guys, I would like to, like, just be an undergraduate again somewhere. I don't want to go to graduate school. But in the meantime, for those of you who love Tina Brown, her company, Tina Brown Live Media, runs this Women in the World uh, conference internationally. And if you can't make the conferences, they post a lot of really great content and conversations online. So check out Facebook and Twitter at Women in the World. And we will also repost our previous interview with Tina about Princess Diana. Because again, in the lead up to the big Windsor wedding, you're going to want to review how just how viciously that family took Diana down. Right. So it's a good point, Liz. <laughs> and good that point. You know, I'm all for I'm all for Megan. It is a hard job, Megan. You might want to re-listen to that previous interview with Tina too, Megan. <laughs> just or if you are her bridesmaids, 
You listen. Yes. Like, you listen yeah. and you can just um, tell her what we said and tell yes. her what Tina Brown said. Liz, that's a great point. First of all, that is another dishy, wonderful interview with Tina Brown. And I remember we were pretty nervous to talk to her because, again, she was Tina Brown and we were just a bunch of sisters. And afterwards, I remember thinking, she was so nice. She was so, so generous. I know. She's a very no. generous, confident woman. And you have yep. to really admire that. Really admire that. Okay. So, I mean, kicking it off with a bang, the Satellite Sisters Book Club is back. Uh, next month, we are talking about Laura Ingalls Wilder. Okay, Minnesota, you got to show up because that is Laura <laughs> Ingalls Wilder territory. The name of the book we're reading is Prairie Fires, The American Dreams of Laura Ingalls Wilder by Caroline Fraser, F-R-A-S-E-R. And it's a wonderful biography. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, it's exciting to be back talking about memoirs, autobiographies and biographies by and about women. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 2018 is going to be great, and We're going to have read a lot of great books. So this is a good idea. It is a good idea. It's too. It's a good name, Leanne. Thank you. Solid. <laughs> Solid name. Well, Satellite Sisters is such a good name. It's sort of hard to do better than just Satellite Sisters something, you know? Yes. So let's stick with that. Okay. All right. Uh, for more information about Tina Brown's book or the next book, you can always go to SatelliteSisters.com. For information really about anything, that's your A number one go-to spot. We would love to have you in our Facebook group. So just look up the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. We have an official page and then we have a group page where it's everyone can chime in. So if you're reading uh, Prairie Fires already and have some questions for the author, you're going to want to put those at the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. And you can follow us on Twitter at Sat Sisters. I'm on Twitter at Leon Dolan. Liz, you're at SS Liz. Mm-hmm. And Julie, what are you again? <laughs> No one knows. No. no one knows. Just just Julie Sat sister, maybe. <laughs> no, no, well. you're at Julie Sat sis. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Just send it to at Sat sisters and we will forward it to Julie. You got it. Yeah. You got it. All right. Uh, have a great reading week, everybody. Pick up that Prairie Fires and don't forget, call your satellite sister. <laughs>